Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about the third small axe film, hmm. Red, White and Blue, which, like the first, Mangrove, is about the legal system in the UK um, and an attempt to uh, combat it, combat its racism, hmm. this time from the other side. So Mangrove was about the Mangrove Nine fighting abuse by the police, hmm. uh, civilians, and this is about uh, a guy, Leroy Logan, who was a real guy, uh, played by John Boyega in this, who joins the police force as a beat cop. He's actually a forensic uh, scientist working for them, you see, early on. But he gives that up, joins the police as a beat cop with the express uh, intention of trying to combat its racism from the inside. Hmm. For my money, it's the least impressive of the three we've seen so far. I think it's the least complex. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, um, I may... I may agree with you, yeah, but we're speaking about such a high level, <laughs> you know, that... I mean, I think this is an amazing film. I think it's great, uh, may, and it sounds like such a backhanded compliment, but I really don't mean it like this. I think it's great for it to be on TV. Um, well, I, I think it's for people who really don't understand the kind of relationship that black people have with the police, especially in this country. I think it's a great thing to be able to see that on TV, the kind of... So his dad in this... Um, is is arrested and beaten by the cops for literally doing nothing. He parks his van, a uh, uh, truck, on the side of a road, and he's allowed to park there, and he even has the tape measure to prove that he's within the regulations, and they beat him nonetheless. Mm. And and he, they really don't have a leg to stand on, as the film goes on to sort of describe. That kind of thing, people probably don't believe happens. Well, but, I mean, so there's two things. You know, first, you know, it's good that it's on TV, that it makes people aware of systemic racism in Britain, uh, a history of systemic uh, racism, and also a history of small acts that resist that racism and try to overturn it. But aside from that, I also think this is a great film. Mm -hmm. It kind of, it uses almost experimental techniques uh, to draw attention to particular things in a very beautiful way that I also found very moving. Go on. So, for example, yeah, just little details like when you're introduced to the family and they're having dinner together, what you see is these extreme close-ups of patterns of almost like 1970s carpets and jumpers, right? And it's like this abstraction, right? And then this abstraction becomes concrete reality and you see, you know, that it's like a Caribbean home, yeah? And actually, uh, the colors are different, but also it's extremely neat. So you have these close-ups of this covering of the juice jar, yeah, embroidered with beads, like absolutely pristine white, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of all this detail, which it really is almost abstract. It's like it's such big close-ups that it takes you a while for your eyes to adjust to figure out what it, what, is, what it is and what is happening, you know. And all of a sudden, kind of, you get a view of this family, this upright family, this hardworking family, that's inculcated these values, you know, and their children, which, you know, kind of then makes being the victim of police abuse all the, all the stronger. Another thing that really caught my eye was, you know, when they're in the hospital and Leroy's wife is pregnant, yeah, mm. and you get that close-up of the scan. Is it a scan or the x-ray? Yeah, what, what shows the baby? The ultrasound. The ultrasound of the baby, you know, beating, right? And it's held just... You know, mm. almost too long, yeah? Like, <laughs> oh, what, what could be too long, 
Yeah, so it's kind of it's drawing attention to this. It's kind of, you know, making you aware of, you know, both the beauty of life, yeah, also something that's unformed and in the process of, you know, getting shape and, yeah. The other moment that really caught my eye was when Leroy is chasing that criminal across the factory floor and basically you have this steady cam, you know, doing these figure eights which really highlight the danger and the tension and, you know, kind of you don't know what he's seeing and you get glimpses of what he's seeing on the corner of the eye, but just the choreography of that extreme long shot with uh, 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 the steady cam to create suspense, I thought was significant uh, uh, and extraordinary. Uh, there was also the moment where the father drives his son to the police station. The camera remains in the car, right? So you're seeing it from the outside, you know, and you see like kind of this fumbling and finally this awkward embrace, right? It was so moving, right? And you think, you know, some cheap American director would have like pushed the camera <laughs> in for, you know, a close up, you know, on some, how do you call uh, those machines with fly, yeah? Drone. Yeah, you would have put a, <laughs> the camera on a drone to get like a sweeping embrace. No, this is outside, it's tactful and it shows the awkwardness and, you know, it allows mm. you to kind of feel the emotion. I mean, I just thought it was like great. Doesn't it recall the shot, isn't it one of the first shots, maybe the first shot of the film where a very young Leroy, who's like maybe eight years old, is stood outside his school uh, waiting for his dad to pick him up and he's approached by cops. And don't, it, isn't that seen from inside the cop car? Uh, some of it, certainly. Yeah, yeah, not the whole thing. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts off like that. Yeah. And, then, and then the dad approaches and tells the cops to stuff it, basically. Yeah. Teach the son. And um, actually, you know, in relation to... You've just reminded me. In relation to what we've just seen, the mank, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this was such a great opening, right? Mm. You see a kid outside on his own. You're already wondering what the hell's going on. Why is he on his own? Blah, blah. Well, no, I didn't wonder that. I mean, he was in school uniform. I think he was waiting to be picked up. I th he was anyway, outside school. Then, you know, the cops come in and you, yeah, yeah. you, you, you uh, it raises all of these questions. And the father comes in, it raises a further set of questions. It's, I think it's dramatic. Yeah, it's dramatic, you know? that's for sure. Uh, and, of course, the, then the father, you know, says that speech where he's saying something like, I don't want you, I forget what the expression he uses because it's a Caribbean expression that I can't remember, but it was like basically, be respectful of the police, yeah? But don't bring them in my backyard, is what he says, right? <laughs> and actually, then the whole film is about that tension, yeah, yeah and overturning that tension. Which, so I think, it's, I think it's fantastic. I was reading a little bit just now, before we start the podcast, about what's real and what's not. There was an article on Slate I was looking at that kind of breaks down the basis of reality. See, I'm, I'm not going to go into it, because it seems like largely the, the, the details appear to be true, at least appear to be true to um, the real Leroy Logan's mm. account, which... Um, uh, he wrote in a memoir recently. Mm. One or two things have changed. Um, I think maybe the most important seems to be that in the film, it's suggested that the kind of key sort of catalyst in uh, Leroy applying to join the police force as a beat cop is his dad's unlawful abuse and arrest by yeah. the police. And it appears that like in real life, that happened while his application was already mm -hmm. sort of underway. And maybe it sort of made him question whether he wanted it but you know so that's kind of reversed which I think kind of has yeah, it's pretty much fair it makes it a little bit more dramatic and intriguing and kind of draws the the father and son so it, it has an interesting impact on the father and son relationship because the dad is like you say all about keep the police out of the backyard and when uh, he finds out that Leroy has applied to the police he's 
shocked and angry. Mm. Um, and that kind of really carries on for the rest of the film up yeah. until the final scene. So the fact that in the film his uh, abuse at the hands of the police is a catalyst for that, that I think adds on to that tension. Mm. You know, that like he is kind of indirectly, directly responsible. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was thinking about it because, you know, I was very moved by it, uh, you know, because I think it has other ramifications. Yeah, so, you know, you get a sense of, of immigrants and, you know, kind of people coming from different cultures and a different language. And so, you know, there's already like a perception of outsiderness. And, you know, I was thinking like, you know, this is a film that is so intelligent, right? It, it's dramatizing these cultures and these cross-cultural kind of elements. You know, but it's also very empathetic. It kind of, it allows you to feel, yeah, and incites you to feel in a way that doesn't feel cheated, that's really well earned. And then I think it's beautiful. Like, you know, kind of some of the things just formally, yeah, kind of that I've been describing, I think are beautiful and imaginative, you know, and mm. kind of expressive. So, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I liked the most was, well, I, I always respond well to humor and it's got lots of good jokes. It's got a good Jedi joke. And I really, really responded to the things that I recognised from... Because this is set in the early 80s. So it's kind of... Because I was born in the late 80s. And this is the stuff that's still here. The stuff that's here is stuff that I am starting to recognise from my youth. It kind mm. of lasted until you know the 90s. Mm. So like the way the cars looked and behaved. Mm. kind of recognise the air freshener. I said mm. to you, I doubt you have any idea what that air freshener is. Yes. But I've seen that air freshener. Yes. The traffic light air freshener. <laughs> I know it off by heart. And... Um, the beep test, which I told you about, and you, well, I asked you because I didn't know if it was a particularly British thing. Um, it must be. I've, you have no. Yeah, but mind you, you know, sports at our school was such <laughs> a like we didn't have it basically. So uh, yeah, um, but anyone who did PE in the UK certainly will have done the bleep test at one point in their life, mm. where it speeds up and speeds up and speeds up, and you literally die. Mm. Not literally. <laughs> you saw here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's that, that stuff I really enjoyed. And also things like the way... I think the scene setting is extremely good. And I mean... What I really mean by that is production design, set design. Mm, I mean, it beautifully evokes the era. Everything seems easily recognisable and so evocative. It takes so little work to kind of believe in the world. Do you know what I mean? And and then the music adds on to that. It's got an incredible jukebox soundtrack. Actually, I think, you know, the music in all three films that we've seen before is sublime and including in this one which is you know so all of the emotive element is al green al green is used throughout yeah except for a few dance tracks in between yeah yeah there's uh, a bit of billy joel <laughs> yeah there's a bit of billy joel there's a bit of like dance music but the, you know the consistent thing is the use of al green and it's just beautiful you know mm. and i think the way it's used is beautiful um I think also, you know, there are interesting touches, right? So, you know, the father is into country music, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the son is into, like, British, you know, kind of um, dance music. Yeah. And then, of course, what you get at the end is Al Green singing Put Your Head Against My Shoulder, which is a country song, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a fusion, you know, the, son, the father and son coming together in this kind of, you know, shared... Uh, uh, act of resistance uh, I think it's really beautiful um, what do you think about the 
title and the film's relationship, if it has one in particular, to uh, American policing or maybe American media and, and portrayals of policing. There's some talk about it. I mean, maybe it's only one or two lines. The title, obviously the red, white and blue appears in the Union flag, but it's really associated that phrase, I think, with the American flag. I suppose. Um, I mean, I think it's a very pointed title. Uh, you know, so... Uh, um... There are lots of shots in scene setting of portraits of the Queen on walls. Yes. And they're, they're not just shots from, like, the audience's perspective. They're John Boyega's character noticing them. Yes. And they're often in police stations, so he has the kind of trappings of empire around him. Yes. Uh, and he notices um, that. And th- and that's kind of what he's come in to disrupt in some respect. Except, that, I mean, I, you know, thinking back on those, because, you know, for me, being raised in Canada, it's, it's an interesting thing, because, you know, British people behave as if, you know, the Queen is theirs <laughs> and as if what she represents she represents only to them right but i was thinking of that scene the queen would have been his queen as well yeah like mm-hmm. you know not only because he was born in britain but also you know if his father was jamaican or you know yeah, i think he was born in jamaica and that's what i was reading on the slate article it seemed to suggest he was born in jamaica and came up here at a young age yeah so i think that scene could be read in different ways because that would also be his queen right or yeah. you know his symbol of the establishment so it could be read as a betrayal i you know that like something that is meant to uphold the establishment but non- nonetheless yeah it's kind of ex- excluding you and that is also the representative of your establishment uh so anyway just a thought just thinking mm. aloud here that uh, um, you know the queen is a symbol for various peoples and in different ways. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think in the context of this film and this story, and the idea that you know, Leroy is deliberately and knowingly, you know, trying to change the system, mm. I think those portraits of the queen. There's a re- representational strategy of using those. I think in kind of representing the system that. Sure. That's yeah, that's why they appear in these police stations, that's why. Well, also there's all those badges, right, with her initials on them. And so oh, yeah. I found uh, the relationship between the father and son, which is really at the heart of this film, incredibly beautiful, you know, because you get the sense of, like, you know, a generational thing and a, a, an aspect of self-sacrifice, because you feel that the father would have really fought his case, would have wanted to have his day in court. Mm. And that actually choosing not to pursue that is a sacrifice for his son. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, it's never explicitly stated, but I think it is communicated. Uh, And then the result of that is that he's beaten down. Yeah, he becomes less than himself. And at the end, you see him drinking alone, Mm. right? Though, you know, the son comes in to share that drink. Uh, which again is another lovely touch, I think. Yeah, but um, the father has been diminished mm-hmm. yeah, by this. Uh, so. I think the reason that last scene is so beautiful is because the son has been diminished as well yes. by his treatment within the police, with the racist abuse written on his locker and also, and being passed over for promotion due to pretty much clearly racist mm. reasons, although they're not given as such. And you know he and I, 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 I maybe it wasn't clear that that. Because I didn't catch everything in the final conversation, I must say. I don't know if he told his dad that that's what had happened, but it, certainly in his demeanour, it, it appeared that he was in the same kind of emotional state as his dad, 
and that's the basis for a reconciliation between them of a yeah. sort. I mean, the ending in a way didn't make sense to me until you know I was just reading uh, the wiki page uh, before we started talking, just trying to remember names. But then actually it made sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. So because you know I didn't realize that this was based on a real person. You know, that this real person became a success, that, you know, he was awarded mm. the MBE or whatever. And, you know, and yeah. So I, you know, the clink with the glasses and the, you know, the conversation with the father is, again, the struggle continues. So there is like, yeah, there was like the sense of being kind of beaten or diminished. Yeah, but it's not over. It's not the end. Yeah. And actually, I think if you if you have a knowledge that this is based on real people, then that becomes clearer as an ending. Yeah, sure. And it's a return to that small acts thing I was talking about in the first podcast about mangrove, where it's about one person's, it's one person's story, one person's mm. actions contribute to a much much bigger picture, yes. and that's kind of quite obvious here. And it was only when you said small acts earlier that I realised that it can be a pun mm. acts. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. good. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I imagine that it's like a Caribbean pronunciation of acts. Well, like I said, in the first podcast, I think I said that uh, it comes from, I think, a Bob Marley song. I don't know if it was oh, a right, pre-existing okay. phrase before that. Right, okay. The idea that, that um, we're the small axe and you're the big tree. Right, okay. So, oh, well, But yeah. I don't know if that is a pre-existing okay. Caribbean phrase or if that was something Bob well, Marley wrote. But, yeah. It could connote both, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've forgotten you'd say that, actually. You'd said that. You must listen. Well, I do listen. <laughs> uh, though, you know, I suppose I could always listen better. <laughs> True of everyone. Talk about John Boyega a bit. Oh, he was wonderful. Because you love him, and you kept saying, "What a star!" Well, you see, the thing is that I was I, I had Gary Oldman in mind. Yeah? <laughs> so they're both very expressive. They both communicate the feeling that the character is supposed to be experiencing. Right. Right. They're technically capable. Yeah, but the difference between John Boyega and Oldman. Yeah, to me is that Boyega also draws you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he enables you to empathize. Yeah? So it's not just that you understand what he's feeling, but that you empathize with him feeling it. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas with Gary Oldman, there's always this distance. You, you know, he never draws me in. I understand him, but he neither charms nor yeah, creates a, a, an empathy. Right. Whereas I think Boyega does. And actually, I think that's why, to me, Boyega's a star. Yeah, he can make you understand why he feels the way he does and share in that feeling. Yeah? I agree. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can't stop looking at him. And actually, it's not even because he's handsome, which usually is my weakness. You know, you're staring because <laughs> they're so handsome. No, it's just, you know, he's got a face that's alive, yeah? that you're, you're waiting to see mm. what he's feeling, really. Yeah, I know? agree. So he, convey, uh, he conveys an awful lot with a shift of his eyes or something like that. Yeah, and he does that a lot here when he's like, and it's sort of very not- notable. He looks from one character to another when he's in the um, the initial interview, putting his application into the police, and there were three officers sat on the other side of a desk. He's only talking to the one in the middle, who's you know kind of taking the 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 interview, but he keeps looking at the other two, and he takes a second to look at each one, and it's just moving his eyes, doesn't move his, his head. Mm. You know, and he, I, I noticed it anyway. It's like he, he's, he conducts himself really professionally, the character, and something that goes along with that, at least for him, is is stillness, mm. not speaking until he's spoken to, only saying what's sort of necessary. Um, yeah, what's well, like behaving professionally, doing doing just just what's right, yeah. and what's right in this situation, and all that's necessary is 
looking to the other officers to acknowledge their presence. Yes. You know. Well, I think that's also a sign of a star, you know, that stillness, yeah, because they have the security that people will be looking at them. You don't <laughs> need to constantly be doing things to be drawing attention. Yeah, you can be still mm. and trust that people will look at you. You know, and then the other thing about Boyega is that he's so charming, right? You know, there are moments where he's laughing and it's almost like he makes you want to laugh with him, yeah? Mm. That it's kind of like a ray of sunshine or something, like a smile, yeah? It kind of, you know, it creates a mood. And I think it's very important in this particular film, right? Because the film itself is so dour that you need somebody like, yeah, charismatic and charming and, yeah, almost life-affirming in the central role. And I, I wanted to mention also a couple of things about the film that I'd forgotten earlier, which is its inclusivity, right? So it's very important that Leroy's cousin is gay, yeah? It's very important in the film, and it's a sign of the skill uh, that McQueen has, that you get the sense of his oppression as a gay man, including by his family members, yeah, the father walking in, mm. yeah? But nonetheless, dancing with his cousin, right? So, so, you know, you get like these different sides to a story. Yeah, every, everything is kind of uh, multi-layered, right? And then in contrast to that, I think it's also very important that when Leroy goes into the police mess hall and says, nobody backed me up, mm -hmm. yeah, that it's not all men, mm -hmm. yeah? You know, that there are women there, right? Which actually would have been very easy in the period to just do all men in that yeah, mess mm -hmm. hall. But no, he includes women there, right? So this is not an issue only of you know, gender or whatever. It's an issue of race. And women are complicit. Yeah? And also you see you know, that uh, if there's a hierarchy of power, yeah, in that case, you know, the women are with the men because of their whiteness. Yeah? Mm. So I think the film is full of little things like that that make it just so rich. Um, I wanted to ask, <clears throat> and if this is too personal, I'm perfectly happy for it to just not go anywhere, be cut out. Um, but I was curious about the, what you mentioned, the bit where the dad walks in on to them dancing. Yes. Because um, at that moment, Leroy's really being sort of cast out by his family for this. Yes. He ends up sort of cast out from the community, yes. pretty much, because you know they're not happy with the black guy policing them. Um, especially a black guy who a lot of them know. Mm. You know, He's from the area. Um, but that bit in particular... Was that resonant to you, or do you think it's um, especially resonant because of how you were treated when you were younger? Well, no, I mean, you know, that in a way was is so far advanced than what, what I would be have been capable of. You know, <laughs> I mean, to be dancing with another boy in your house, I mean, I, I would just never have done it, right? Like, it's, it was just not within the realm of the possible for me. Uh, no, I, I thought what was beautiful about that scene was how, in one moment. And this is why, you know, I'm using the word dramatic. It distills all of these things. Yeah. Mm. Both, you know, the fact that the cousin is gay, the fact that Leroy is not, the affection and bond between them, they're dancing together. Yeah. So, you know, kind of clearly the Leroy character is not homophobic. The father walks in. Yeah. Then they all stop. Right. And then actually the response to the father going away where he continues dancing. And it's very important that it's Leroy who breaks the tension and starts off the dancing, yeah. right? To make his cousin feel okay, yeah. right? So, you know, kind of, there's so much going on in a moment like that, right? Yeah. And I think it's, it's, 
I mean, obviously, I'm probably bringing a lot of my history and understanding as a gay man to this, you know, but I think it's there. I think it's, you know, mm. these things have been thought through in terms of you know, these questions. And I think this is why the film is so beautiful and rich. Mm. Was that his cousin? Or aren't they just, aren't they mates, him and Lee? I think, well, I, I mean, I, I, I thought it was his cousin because the mother, yeah. yeah, where they go have that Sunday lunch, right? Uh, the father tells her, this is your fault, yeah, that the son has gone into the police. You know, you with your buzz. Uh, oh, right. He mentioned something about the son. So I assume that's his sister and their family, right? Maybe not. I wasn't clear to me. I thought they were family friends, but I don't know. Well, I think they're cousins, but whether they're family friends or cousins, I suppose it's not that important. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. Um, I was just asking to, because if you'd noticed something I hadn't. <laughs> no. All right. Well, I'm, um, you know, I, I was just assuming they were cousins. Yeah. The final thing I would say, and I think this is, I suppose, why I think it's the weakest of the three. But as you said, it's a relative thing. No. These three films are of a very, very high standard. Mm. They're really good. Is that? I think it lends a little too hard on cliche or on tropes. I felt like I could predict where it was going. Maybe that's not that fair a criticism. Because, you know, who says it should have to surprise me like that? Um, and maybe it's the, maybe it's the in the scenes. Mm. It's, you know, kind of imaginative and effective and so on. Mm. Um, uh, there were... There I, were I, all I mean is I suppose it grabbed me less than the other two. Okay. There was a couple of moments where I thought, hmm, yeah, that kind of, it resonated. Though, it, you know, it might have just seemed slightly cliche-ish because it's so, it's, you know, stereotypes of stereotypes for a reason, mm. you know. Um... I did think that the film avoided most of them, right? In all kinds of ways, yeah? Who the father is, what his job is, his attitudes, you know, uh, the son being a PhD going to the police as opposed to, yeah, mm. you know, uh, I mean, a cliche would have been to be a little gang leader and <laughs> things like that, right? So I think the film avoided cliches uh, very much and what it avoided which again, you know, I kind of, I apologize for constantly comparing it to American cinema, but that is a point of reference. It avoided that feeling of smugness. <laughs> yeah, which, in which kind of, you get the feeling that people know all the answers, or people have all the answers, right? You know, I mean, in that family picture, there would have been an aunt or somebody who would have like preached you the gospel of how things should be, right? Or how she knows things are. Mm. You know, there's nothing like that here. Right, so no. um, which 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 I I liked very much and I appreciated. No, it's it's a family that's really genuinely struggling with things that are new to them or challenging. Yes, with assimilation or with the inability to assimilate or with being prevented from assimilating. Mm. You know all those things, because also you know the the type of migration or immigration that you have here is different. And I think the shock must have been greater. So, for example, you know, when my family immigrated to Canada, they immigrated. So, actually, you expect to be inferior. It's not your country. <laughs> yeah, you are being led in, you know, through the grace of others, right, mm. uh, into this land of opportunity. So, you know, it's not right that people treat you badly, but also, you know, kind of in some ways it's understandable. The difference with, what do they call all the, you know, the people who came on that boat and then were sent away? Again, the Windrush generation. The Windrush generation is that they were British, mm -hmm. right? And actually, that would have been true of Canadians in that period. I mean, you know, you come here as a citizen. It's, it's your place as much as when a British 
person goes to Jamaica, it's their place. You are both British. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you're both British. So, yeah, the sense of betrayal or mm. anger or, you know, kind of uh, uh, being mistreated like that, you know, must have been even greater. Mm. Yeah, the, I, you know, she's their queen too. It's <laughs> their country too, mm. right? So, yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. I, uh, um, and in fact, when they basically told, you don't need papers, passport, anything like that because you are British citizens, you can move here. And then 50 years down the line, they're told by Theresa May, where are your papers? Exactly. Yeah, so it's fucking disgusting. Yeah. So, but in relation to the film, mm. it's a different type of migration. Yeah. It's yes. A, yeah. Yes. It's a migration home as opposed to a migration away from home. Yeah. In some ways. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think it's great, and you should all see it. <laughs> and it's on iPlayer, like the rest of them. Yes. And um, well, the fourth and fifth at the time of recording haven't yet come out. The fourth is on tonight, I think. All right. And then the fifth in a week, I guess. Right. So we will continue with this uh, fascinating series. Uh, do let us know kind of what you think of both, uh, you know, the individual episodes and, uh, you know, our commentary. Uh, and in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>